On the virtual Bible study tonight, we're going to pick up uh, where it was left off last week and continue with questions and answers with Jesus. Yeah, we had, I think, a really interesting discussion last week covering some of the questions that people asked Jesus and how he answered. We learned both how he answered and the substance of his answers. And we've got uh, uh, several more such questions, so we're going to do this uh, episode two, Q&A with Jesus. All right, we're going to get started on this important discussion right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, July 22nd, 2021. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Good to be with you. Kyle's behind the controls. Kyle, welcome. It's good to be here. Glad that you're here. And we welcome you on the other end of the line tonight listening to us wherever you may be we want to hear from you at 877-381-4567 email questions at collegeview.com into the chat window to the bottom of your video feed listeners are signing in there we've got a little flip-flop here in the chat room tonight brian in california is now brian in tennessee and Grant in Tennessee is now Grant in Colorado. They sort of, they must have passed in the middle somewhere, oh, wow. or Kansas maybe. Uh, okay. So yeah, we're glad that, uh, that glad that you're here tonight, and uh, we want to hear from you. Yeah, we like I said, we I think we had a good discussion last week. You were out of pocket last week, Jacob, and uh, Josh McCord helped out. Yep. We had yep. a good discussion, I think, and yep. uh, just just it's it's. A number of subjects that are not necessarily related to one another, but they are all connected in the sense that. Jesus was questioned about these things. Jesus is the master teacher, so the way he responded, perfect. Uh, so we can learn something about just the way to respond to questions in general, but we learn about the specific subject matter as well. All right, uh, so let's uh, get into this important discussion. Before we do, uh, just a real quick uh, bit of housekeeping. Okay. Uh, we got a, a quick weekend gospel meeting coming up here at College View that starts a week from tomorrow night. So Friday night, July the 30th, and then Saturday night, the 31st, and then on Sunday, August 1st, Paul Smithson, who preaches for the church in Tullahoma, Tennessee, is going to be here. Paul's preached for us before, and I think a lot of our listeners know and appreciate Paul. He's he's a really good preacher and very interesting to listen to. He'll hold your attention for sure. And so if you're uh, within a driving distance of Columbia, Tennessee, we encourage you to come and join us. A week from tomorrow night, which is uh, July 30th, and then Saturday night, the 31st, Sunday, August 1st. There's a there's a, an announcement about the meeting on our homepage at collegeview.com, so you can look there for the details. Uh, Kyle, I, I imagine we'll be live streaming those episodes, uh, those sermons, but... but we, you know, is, we need to figure out a way to do a blackout. A blackout, you, yeah. You know, like they do on yeah. sporting events. If you're within a certain geographical area, you get blacked out. Hey, Kyle can do it. 
So if you're within a certain geographical area of, Ge- of Columbia, Tennessee, we don't want you watching on the live stream. We want you to come in person. But really, it'll be out there. Well, you know, a lot of people say, you know, watching sports now with the high definition and all is better in your living room than it is actually being there. I, this is probably different. This is yeah, better in person be, yeah. than it is uh, be. on your gotta, computer. Gotta but be, yeah. the computer still looks good, Kyle. Nothing against you, but it's better in person. Well, yeah. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a good study. All right. All right. So these questions, uh, a continuation of our discussion from last week, questions that Jesus was asked. All right. So let's just dive in. We won't read them all ahead of time. We'll just go to them one at a time. In John chapter 9, there's an episode wherein... You know, some many of the questions that were asked with Jesus were, were people trying to entrap him. But some of them were asked by people who had uh, honest questions and sincere desire to know. And this seems to be such a case. Uh, in John chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus passed by. He saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so that was the question that was asked. There's, it's, it's clear that there was a presumption underlying the question. And the, and the presumption of his disciples, which apparently was a common th- thread and thought in that day, was if you're suffering physically, it is no doubt because of sin. Either you sinned or someone else sinned that affected you. In this case, they said, since he was born blind, blind from his mother's or blind from his birth, it says. They they wondered, could it, is it this guy's fault he's blind, or maybe his parents' fault that they sinned? But notice, who did sin? They didn't say, is this is this problem, this physical malady, is it because of, they didn't ask, is it because of sin? Their question assumed it definitely was because of sin. Who did the sin? Was their question. So uh, uh, that was a question that Jesus asked. Now, uh, he goes on to answer that. Verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Uh, So Jesus, uh, I think the takeaway part of Jesus' answer is no, nobody sinned here. This, this, This physical problem, is not, in, in this case, a result of anybody's sin. He did suggest that this is going to provide an opportunity for him to display his power, manifest the power of God, uh, and so forth. But it, it, it's clear that he said, in this case, it is not so that the problem is a result of sin. I- you know, do people still do that today, you think? Do, maybe we've done that today. Oh, people definitely do that today. You, you, somebody, you see somebody who's had a hard times, he's lost his job, maybe, you know, he doesn't, he's got his health. Is, I wonder what's going on with him. What kind of dark sins has he got going on here? Yeah. yeah. You know, look down your nose like you, you know, that you, you're perfect and this poor, poor guy over here, you know, what kind of sins he got in this life? Yeah. And the, cha- the fact of the matter is it may just be time and chance that's got this guy. Yeah. 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 So, so uh, you know, it is true that sometimes do sickness is due to something you did wrong. The way of the transgressor is hard, but it's not everyone who's having difficult times right. is necessarily a transgressor. For instance, if if you have made the terrible mistake of using uh, tobacco and you contract, uh, contract lung cancer, 
then there's, there is a physical consequence, a direct physical consequence to a sin that you've chosen to commit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, in some instances, you may suffer problems in this world, in this life, physical problems because of sins you commit. Or it could be, like they asked, did it, what, was it him or was it his parents? In some instances, you may suffer from the sins of other people. The illustration that I typically use, and we, we get in the car after the, after the program tonight, we, you and me and Kyle all hit off in our different directions toward home. And if one of us got hit by a drunk driver and maybe seriously injured, left impaired for life, well, that's not our sin, but it is sin. Somebody else's sin affects you. So, so you can you can suffer from your own sins. You can suffer from the sins of others. But there is no absolute connection. You cannot assume that in every case that sickness is due to sin. Yeah. All right. Here's what Jim in Kentucky said about it. He said, Jesus' answer in this case is short and to the point. Neither he nor his parents sinned. It is interesting that some would think that Jesus would punish a baby by causing him to be born blind because of his parents' sin, this idea of inherited sin. Yet there are many today who would do the exact thing by calling it personal choice with regards to abortion, punish the baby for the sin of the parent. We also learn the faith of this man. Though blind, he had greater faith than his parents. Having just received his sight, he was willing to cast out, uh, to be cast out of the synagogue for confessing Jesus. So he goes on deeper into the story here. You remember his parents were afraid. His parents were afraid and would not support his claim in uh, verses 19 through 23. True faith is willing to suffer uh, than to be silenced. This man, blind man had greater insight than the religious leader or even his parents. Good. That's, that's, I, I like that Jim brought out the, the, the longer story there of what continues there in chapter 9 of John about how the, the you know, it's always been amazing to me. So, so here this guy received a blessing. He, he had never been able to see. He was blind from birth. Now he can see. And the Pharisees want to use that somehow to attack Jesus. That this is a bad thing? Some, he, Jesus done something bad here? Yeah. Incredible. And, uh, yeah, ex- excellent example there. Uh, Kent, uh, the basis of this question, uh, Kent's in Calhoun, Georgia, by the way. The basis of this question was established upon the false premise that all suffering comes from either personal sin or sin committed by family. While some sins that we commit do cause personal suffering, there are other reasons as well. Suffering can be caused by, number one, personal bad decisions. Number two, bad decisions of others. Number three, bad decisions of former generations. Number four, violation of natural laws. Number five, differences of geophysical features of the earth. In this specific scenario, Christ stated that neither this man nor his parents caused his physical problem by personal sin. The blindness under consideration here afforded those who witnessed this miracle the opportunity to see the proof of the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Yeah. I need, I need Kent, uh, maybe Kent, I think Kent usually listens in the archive version, but uh, differences of geophysical features of the earth. Yeah, I got dizzy when I read that. I wonder what that is. Now, I understand violation of natural law. If, if I, uh, you know, if I walk off of a, a, a mountain cliff and fall to, 10,000 feet, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get hurt, uh, and that's my choice. Uh, and so uh, I violated natural law. The law of gravity is going to catch up with me You there. didn't violate it. You just <laughs> were on the wrong side of it. Yeah, yeah. but, but uh, I'm not quite sure about differences of geophysical features of the earth. That, that, that one maybe can, can give us some insight on that. Uh, you, know, the, the, uh, you know, ultimately, maybe we could add this one more observation before we go to the next question. 
ultimately all suffering is due to sin. Because before sin entered the world, it was a perfect existence. You want to know how God wanted it to be? Look at the Garden of Eden. Look at Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before they sinned. That was God's ideal and what he wanted for man. Adam and Eve chose to sin. Suffering and and death entered the world because of that choice. We don't inherit the the spiritual guilt of their sin, but we we inherit the, the physical consequence of sickness and death. Because of sin. Can we uh, go off, of course, just a minute to talk about miracles here? Because there's an important point we need to make about miracles. This man was blind from birth and everybody knew it. He wasn't just somebody who claimed, oh, I got double vision or my right eye is a little blurrier than my left eye. Can you know? Everybody knew this. There was no denying that this was a miracle. And that's the the kind of miracles that we see in the New Testament, not these these fuzzy ones that people are claiming to be miracles yeah, today. And, and, and uh, you know, this guy w- was not some ringer that they brought in from right. out of town no. to fake a miracle. Yeah. This was the yep. real deal. Yep. Yep. Uh, but, uh, again, as Jim pointed out in his answer, it's it's just incredible that that people can be so blinded by their, their prejudice and hatred that they, they would try to find fault with Jesus for healing this they should have been rejoicing in this case and they tried to find fault. that's exa- illustrative of how blind we can get if we're not yeah. careful yeah. blind yeah. to the truth you know and i think it, i think that does have application to us today you know because i think that there are a lot of people in the religious world who just simply won't consider anything else than what they already believe they're locked in and and the opponents of jesus were so locked in against him that they wouldn't even rejoice in the case of a fellow blind from birth who could now see. Yeah, absolutely. All right, shall we? Let's grab a break and we'll come back. The next question is, oh, divorce. Uh, Matthew 19.3, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? My calculations say that we are about uh, 12% along, and we should be about 25% along, so we're going to have to go faster when we get back. Okay, we'll hurry. Well, here we go. We're going to get a break. We'll be back right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Here's a quick thought. The psalmist said, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Psalm 56, verse 3. Simple to say, challenging to do. Find strength to face your fears today and every day by trusting in God. Cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. Think about it. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. The right and good way is seldom the easy way. Evil takes giant steps forward when good sits down to rest. You are not the first to have happen to you whatever it is that's happening to you. What on earth are you doing about heaven? The ones who pull the oars don't have time to rock the boat. Good luck is a lazy man's estimate of a worker's success. Man, wish I'd said that. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're back on the program, talking about questions that were asked to Jesus and examining his answers and looking at lessons we can learn from those important interactions. 
Yeah. So the second question that we want to deal with is one that we, we have dealt with a good bit on the Virtual Bible Study. It has to do with divorce. And, of course, a very familiar text to us is Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, the Pharisees also came to him, tempting him, saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Uh, now, notice, this is one of those instances where they were trying to entrap him because there was actually some dissension among the Jews about rightful causes for divorce. Uh, and they were, I think, probably trying to draw him into that controversy. Jesus was not drawn into that controversy. Instead, he referred them back to the beginning. Uh, he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And so Jesus, Jesus actually cut past Moses all the way back to God's original plan for marriage, one man, one woman for life. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that was the way he answered it. They basically, they, they come back and said, well, why did Moses then command to give a writing a divorcement to put her away? He said, uh, he answered them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Uh, I think the New American Standard Version there says, uh, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wife. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. So Jesus basically suggested that the the, the allowance of Moses' law was a temporary thing, not not had not been true from the beginning, and was not going to be true under his law and in his kingdom he says in verse 9 I say to whosoever shall put away his wife except it be for fornication shall marry another committeth adultery and whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery so Jesus, Jesus says well it was so it was there was an allowance under Moses but that wasn't the way it was originally and that's not the way it's going to be now under the, under his law and so Jesus said a, 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 Jesus dealt with a, a problem a question that was very much pertinent in that day it's very much pertinent in our day uh and notice he sets an extremely high bar here uh the very next verse verse 10 his disciples said to him if the case of a man be so with his wife it's good not to marry they said wow that is a hard thing they said and i think it's interesting that jesus didn't back it off yeah. When they when they objected, it's, wow, that seems so hard. Maybe it'd almost be better never to even get married if it's going to be like that. And, but Jesus didn't back that down. And so there's something we learn about the way Jesus answered questions. He, he gave the truth, and even when the truth was hard for people to swallow, he didn't compromise it or or soften the message. Yeah, that's a big temptation that we've got to be on guard against is to soften the message just so that we don't. Uh, cause people to be uncomfortable with what the true answer is. Uh, Jim in Kentucky says, uh, although their question was meant as a means to trap Jesus, it is also it also revealed how callous they were with regards to marriage. The answer our Lord gives is to restore marriage and our understanding of it to its rightful place as a relationship granted by and created by God. Those who seek to, to, today to sunder it for any reason are those who do not want what God wants in Matthew 19, verse 9. If people worked as hard at their marriages as they do at their jobs or hobbies, we would be much better off. 
In this teaching of Jesus, we find more evidence for how God protects women from the selfish attitudes which can be manifested by men. Okay. Okay, so, a couple you know, of good the, points there. Yeah, the, the fact of the matter is, Jesus answer. Yeah, and I get this. The question was, can you divorce for any reason at all? And, Jesus, and lots of people today say yes. Right. The common answer in our world is, yes, you can. Jesus' answer is, no, you can't. And he offers one exception. If your mate has been sexually unfaithful, you can divorce for that cause and marry again. But only the so-called innocent party can remarry, and, it, and they must put away their guilty mate for that cause. Yeah, teaching that our uh, and our culture needs today very desperately. Kent says the Pharisees sought to catch our Lord in a contradiction as to discredit him because of their insane envy of him. Matthew 27, verses, verse 18. Perhaps on this occasion they had in their mind both his views on the Old Testament teaching regarding divorce as well as what he had previously taught on the subject in the Sermon on the Mount. Christ clearly set forth Old Testament teaching regarding divorce as well as the reasoning underlying such in Matthew 19, 4-9. Then Christ indicated from the beginning it was not so and stated the reason for Old Testament teaching regarding such. He then drew a contrast as to what would be the case under the New Testament. One man for one woman for life. The only exception to the New Testament law of divorce and remarriage would be the sin of fornication giving the violated innocent partner the right to divorce the guilty mate due to their sin of fornication against the marriage. Only the innocent sinned against partner would have the authority to obtain such a divorce and remarry, provided the second marriage partner was scripturally qualified to enter yeah, into a marriage. Good, good answer. Very thorough. Yeah. Good answer. Yeah. Uh, so again, I, I, I think this this question asked of Jesus illustrates both how he answered. That is, he wouldn't soften his answer when when his own disciples sort of objected that that the that the teaching was too hard. Yep. He wouldn't soften the answer. And then the direct answer concerning divorce: No, the answer is no. You cannot divorce just for any cause. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Yep. And we need to be clear on that. We, we need to be. It's you know we talk a lot about the exception, but the the the, the answer is no. You can't divorce yeah. for any cause, yeah. and that needs to be clearly taught. Uh, we've got whole episodes in the Virtual Bible Study Archives on divorce and remarriage, and if that's a subject that you're currently studying or maybe have some questions about, uh, dive into our archives there, and and, and uh, there's much deeper, thorough discussion of that in some of our archive copies. Brian, who is in Tennessee tonight instead of California, says, in the concession found in the Law of Moses concerning divorce, was the arrangement of binding one man to one woman suspended as well? The cases of being of being bound many times over in multiple marriages is one that seems unworkable. Yeah. Uh, the... Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know how to answer that exactly. You know, they're... they're because one of the things is we know that God apparently also allowed polygamy right. in those times. But that actually predated Moses. Right. Uh, you know, men had multiple wives before, even during the patriarchal period before the law of Moses was given. So all of that seems to have been less than what God's initial plan was. Uh, one man, woman for life. And Jesus... Jesus basically indicates that he's under his reign he's taking this all the way back to the initial plan of god one man one woman for life yeah 
All right, good question, Brian. Maybe not a clear answer, but a uh, good question on uh, on that. Uh, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com are the other ways you participate as well in the chat room uh, tonight. We want to hear from you. All right. Number three. Number three. Uh, Jesus was asked uh, by the scribes, and this, this is Mark 7, verse 5. The, the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed or impure hands? Uh, the New American Standard there says impure hands, whereas the the uh, King James Version simply calls it unwashed hands. Um, the Pharisees and scribes ask him, why do, why? Walk not thy disciples according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands. Well, you know, we like to we like to wash our hands before we eat too. You know, you know, I, I, it's not uncommon to tell the kids, "Go wash your hands. We're about ready to have supper." Yeah, but that's not the same thing here. These were these were rites of purification that the that the Jews had over time developed into a into a real system of rules and regulations that they enforced with the same adamacy as though it were found in the revealed law of Moses. And so they had set up a a system. Uh, They had basically written their own rules, and now they were busy enforcing their rules. And that was basically what they were asking Jesus here. Why aren't, why aren't you? Why are you not following the traditions of the elders? Notice they didn't say, "Why are your disciples not following the law of Moses?" Which they should have been at that time. The law of Moses was still in force, and Jesus and his disciples were Jews who were obligated to be keeping the law of Moses. But they, they Jesus wasn't asked, "Why are your disciples not keeping the law of Moses?" His, he was asked, "Why aren't your disciples observing the traditions of the elders?" Uh, so uh, again, they they had established their own rules system, uh, and, and Jesus answered. Jesus's answer to them was pretty harsh. Uh, he said, it, it directly responding to that, he said, "Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written: This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching for doctrines the precepts of men." Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. Uh, uh, he, he went on to say, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your traditions uh, in, in verse 9. So uh, Jesus' answer to them was that, that that by virtue of them setting up their own rules, they had rendered their worship to God as vain. They were going through all these methods and methodologies uh sort of with their lips honoring God, but actually doing their own thing. They were doing their own thing. They were following their own rules. And Jesus said it made their worship vain when they taught for doctrines the precepts of men. Yeah. Well, that's sure that's sure a point that needs to be stressed in our world today. Because we've got a whole, we've got a whole system in our religious world today wherein people set up their own rules. They even talk proudly about voting on various rules and regulations for different religious bodies, that's effectively what uh, had happened here. The Pharisees had set up their own rules and were trying to force people to keep them. 
This ought to really this ought to really strike to the heart of people who are who are content to follow rules that men make. If they are rules that men make, this is exactly the situation Jesus was condemning here. Uh, they set up rules that that actually contradict the commands of God. Makes your worship vain. Now, and these were the elders. And obviously, they didn't have the church back then, but this would be the equivalent of today saying, well, this is the tradition of the church. Yeah. Uh, this is what the church has always that, that this denomination has always done. You know, some denominations and some religious organizations are bold enough to embrace this idea that the tradition of the church is somehow binding. The Catholic Church, uh, the Episcopal Church, have this idea of the three-legged stool. And the Catholic Church will say that one of the legs of the stool is scriptures, but equally binding is the teaching of the Pope. And third is equally binding is the tradition of the church. The Episcopal Church will do the same thing. And they have three legs, but they don't have the Pope, obviously. They have, just as scary, the, the scripture the tradition, and then human reasoning. Yeah. If that doesn't shit, send chills up your spine, I don't know what yeah. will. Yeah. But check, if you're a member of a denomination, you need to look at what the denomination holds to, and many of them will hold to this idea that the tradition of the church is binding just right up there with Scripture. Yeah. It's so, dangerous. So if, if, if what you are being taught cannot be established with book, chapter, and verse authority from the Scripture, if, you, if you're worshiping, and, and and serving and and the, and the rules you're following are not found in the Word of God, but are found in some human creed. This episode speaks directly to that. Jesus said, "If you are, notice again what the wording was." Uh, he says, uh, "Oh wait a minute, I, I threw, put that page on." He says, "If you teach for doctrines the precepts of men and neglect the commandment of God, as you hold to the tradition of men, this." He says, makes your worship vain. Right. There, there, that is applicable to a lot of people in our religious world today. There's a reality check for you. Uh, compliments of Jesus' answer Jesus, to that question. Peter right. said in 1 Peter 4, verse 11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If you can't give book, chapter, and verse, if you can't say, thus saith the Lord, here's the New Testament authority for our New Testament practice. If you can't do that, then you, you need to think seriously about this particular episode. Jim says, "Why do your uh, the question that Jesus asked? Why do your disciples not ask, walk according to the tradition of the elders?" Again, we note the religious leaders are more concerned with condemning that than with helping. We need to be careful ourselves that our attitude is not one of proving others wrong as much as in helping them do what is right. In this case, the religious leaders were more interested in rebuking Jesus though his disi- through his disciples than in knowing the truth. Good observations there, Jim. Thank you for that. And then Kent says. The Pharisees and scribes demonstrated their lack of respect for the authority of the Old Testament, the law to which they, as Jews, were amenable to God. Um, they, this provided Christ an opportunity to present the truth about doctrine and defilement. They were not concerned about following the pattern of the authority which, of which they were amenable, the Old Testament. They had elevated their human traditions above what the Old Testament law had taught and was actually guilty of by elevating human tradition over the Old Testament scriptures, thereby violating the word of God. Christ referred to them as hypocrites. Thayer in his lexicon on page 643 refers to this term hypocrites as referring to an actor, stage player, or pretender. He thus makes it very clear that these individuals were guilty of vain, empty, and or sinful practices. Right. Very good. Okay. 
Let's grab our break, and when we come back, the next question, again, a little bit along the same lines as we've been talking. Jesus' own disciples said, do you not know that what you have taught is is, is offensive? Uh, the, the, uh, do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? All right. Kyle, you've been washing your hands before you eat? Of course. Okay. We all, I, don't, I wouldn't expect any less. We're going to get a break. We'll get back. We'll take your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. All who engage in public speaking, including teachers, politicians, various public officials, and preachers, have their own unique methods of preparing notes and aids to help them remember the points they want to make while before their audience. Some prefer to have their presentation in a fully written manuscript. Others would rather have a developed outline of what they will say. Still others need only a few scribbled comments on a card. Whatever the style, these visual helps are usually very important for the speaker, and they are closely guarded in advance of the speaking assignment. We heard of one such orator who allowed his notes to be seen prior to his speech. In the margin of his outline, he had written, quote, Yell louder here, this is a weak point, unquote. Think of that. He realized the weakness of what he was going to say, so he hoped to conceal it by making more noise. Unfortunately, many religious people do this very thing. Although it is unlikely that they would actually admit it on their handwritten notes or elsewhere, what they are doing is an attempt to impress men. But we're sure that God is not impressed. This is not a new problem. Jude mentions those who, quote, speak great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage, unquote, verse 16. Paul said that, quote, by good words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple, Romans 16, verse 18. In contrast, all who would faithfully proclaim God's message must not allow a desire for men's esteem to overwhelm their primary devotion to the truth. Paul described his methods in this way, quote, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, unquote, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 4 and 5. Peter urged that, quote, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God, unquote, 1 Peter 4, verse 11. So let's be sure we're making a true point rather than simply making noise. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Dwight Bovet. And I'm Michelle Bovet, and we're from Ames, Iowa. We listen to the virtual Bible study every week, and we invite you to do the same. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight. To remind you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or check out collegeview.com. And Kyle, um, you uh, might want to tell about the uh, video feed. <laughs> yeah, which that's on College View Live Stream. It's a separate channel from the Virtual Bible Study, but... Yeah, uh, some fantastic uh, Bible studies on there and lessons. So it's a lot of a wealth of studies on this virtual Bible study and the College View live stream. So All right. there's a ton of stuff to add to your Bible studies. All right, Kyle. Thanks. A lot of resources. There's a tremendous amount of resources there. If you're studying a Bible subject, it may very well be the case that you could find some something about that topic in, in either in the archives of the virtual Bible study or on the College View uh, homepage and the College View live stream YouTube channel. Are you going to tease about the uh, new and improved website that's coming down the pipe? I don't know because I'm, I'm, I'm just feeling a little nervous about it. But we've got we've got some some people working to renovate our website after so many years. 
uh, and uh, we'll see. Uh, maybe by next week, I, I don't know, but possibly by next week, you might see a new look on the virtual Bible. And I hope page. it has enhanced search capabilities. Oh, maybe it might. It needs that. But, I mean, you got such a long list there. You don't want to have to go through every one. Yeah. All right. Got to get, get this thing into the 21st century. Yeah. Are, you're handing, you're, are you handing over the reins as the webmaster? Well, and I know I, I'm almost embarrassed to say because I think people realize we've got a pretty primitive setup on the on our web page. That's because I'm I'm the one who put that all together, and I'm I'm really uneducated in that process. Yeah. But it works. It's been working. So you don't it, touch it. Huh? You don't touch it. You have it. You, you, once it started working, you didn't touch it very much anymore. You yeah. sort of left left yeah. it left good hey, enough alone. I you learned didn't a long break. time ago that saying: if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You didn't fix it till it broke. I mean, you. But it did get broke. It has been. We've got some some fatal errors yeah. showing up, and so we decided that we actually get some professionals to give us a little rebuild. So your your two thousand six or two thousand seven era website is about to. Be handed over to something yeah, uh, fresh, a, yeah, freshened yeah, up yeah, a little it's, bit. It's 15 years old at least. It's probably at least 15 years old. Wow. Okay. All right. Let's move quickly. Uh, the next question actually comes right on the heels of the episode that we were just talking about. Yeah. So uh, still in Matthew chapter 15. Remember, that's when they came, the, 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 the Pharisees came and said, oh, why are your disciples uh, not honoring the tradition of the fathers, eating with unwashed hands? Jesus put them in their place and said, you're teaching your rules as though they were the commands of God. It makes your worship vain. Uh and and immediately on the heels of that, verse ten, he called his the he called the multitude and said, "Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth this defileth the man." So in other words, you it was you haven't washed your hands and you put something in your mouth and you haven't washed your hands. He says that's not what defiles you. That what defiles you is what comes out of your mouth, not what you put into your mouth. And then his disciples came to him, verse 12. This is Matthew 15, verse 12. Then came his disciples and said to him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? So sort of you've got to take the whole, the whole scenario there. Uh, they, the Pharisees themselves had, had complained because the disciples weren't keeping their rules. Jesus had put them strictly in their place and then told the multitude these these guys are off base when they tell you that you're defiling yourself if you eat with unwashed hands. It's not what you put in your mouth; it's what comes out of your mouth. Basically, implying that they're wrong, that they themselves are wrong. Uh, and and so his disciples, man, the the Pharisees were offended with what they heard from you on this. So how, how would first before we read how Jesus answered it, how would people today respond to that? Hey. What you just said, people didn't like. People didn't like that. That wasn't that wasn't very politically correct. Yeah. That's a what you said is actually offensive. You said that homosexuality is a sin. That's offensive to a lot of people. And so we would start walking that back. Oh, 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 oh well, let me yeah, let, let me let me let me clarify. Let me restate my position on that. So you, you make a good uh, parallel there. Did you see Max Licato recently walked his? condemnation of homosexuality no i didn't see it he did yeah yeah that's the way it goes you 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 offend somebody and you gotta you gotta pull it back and and it wouldn't even have to be anything quite that dramatic you know people not too happy i've heard you say that you have to be baptized in order to be saved 
And there are a lot of people who don't like that. And they're offended. They're put off by you pressing uh, your doctrine of baptism for the remission of sins. Yeah. Although it's not our doctrine, it's biblical doctrine. But people, well, let's, let's back that down a little bit. Let's take that, let's, ta- let's, let's soften the message. Here's how Jesus answered. Jesus answered, every plant which the heavenly father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Whoops. <laughs> you, I don't think Jesus softened his his position on that. Any. He basically said, I don't care. Yeah. If you were to boil that down. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, I think, again, both how Jesus answered and the substance of the answer, both things are important. How he answered was not to soften his position, uh, and the the answer itself was the traditions of men yield your your worship to God is worthless. All right. Here's what uh, Jim said. uh, Open rebuke is better than secret love. Proverbs 27, verse 5. Jesus was willing to rebuke the Pharisees in the hope that they would change their ways. As with the previous account in Mark, they made their doctrines superior to God's commands. Jesus was giving them the opportunity to learn the truth and change before it was too late. Their determination to be offended demonstrated their true hearts. They would rather moan and complain about what Jesus said than to see the truth and change. Jesus warns us that such ones should be left to themselves. But our Lord's rebuke also helps us to see that when it comes to teaching truth, we must never fear doing so, no matter who may feel offended. Okay, good. Appreciate that, Jim. And Jim makes a good point. I mean, why, what, what good does it do for, to, to soften the teaching? If somebody needs to hear something and you soften it just so they don't get mad, well, they're still just as lost I, as they were before. I, I, I've got an expression that I use from time to time. I, I think some people are, are, are willing to let people go to hell in a good humor. Mm-hmm. Don't want to offend them. They may go to hell, but at least they won't be mad at me. Yep. And that's wrong. That, uh, it is. Kent says, those who were followers of the Lord made an observation in the form of a question as to how the Pharisees and scribes had been offended at what Jesus had stated. Our Lord responded in verse 13 by indicating that false ideas, hypocritical attitudes, and those who teach and possess them need to be exposed and uprooted. Not only will such false teachers be lost in eternity, but, will also, but also those who follow them, Matthew 15, verses 13 and 14. Thank you for that, uh, Kent. Okay, real quick, we we got to hurry. We're going to run out of time, Jacob. Let's take this next one before we get our final break. The next one has the question about when is the kingdom coming? And Luke 17, verse 20, when he was de- de- uh, and when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. So they had a question about the coming of the kingdom. We understand that the that the the ruling class of the Jews believed that the Messiah was going to come and reestablish the physical kingdom of Israel, restore Israel to its glory as it was under King David, and and uh, so that's of course one of the ultimate reasons that they rejected Jesus because Jesus said that's not the that's. That's not the promised kingdom. And that's what he said here when he says the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. The kingdom is not a physical kingdom. Uh, in John 18, when he, Jesus was being questioned by Pilate, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. So 
Jesus was dealing with a, a false expectation about an earthly kingdom. And it, we would like to think, well, that was a problem that the Jews had, but we're not dealing with that issue today. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is we are because the theory of premillennialism is rampant right. in, the, in, the, uh, in the religious world today. People expecting Jesus to come back and establish an earthly kingdom. Jesus never intended to do so and, and never will do so. And so his answer is pertinent to even our day. That's what Kent says. It is interesting to note this was not exclusively a question raised by the Pharisees. This was a demand. They demanded to know when the kingdom of Christ had spoken of would repeat, would appear. Our Lord responded by implying that these Pharisees did not understand the nature of the kingdom, that such would not come by physical observation. Such would be so because it is of spiritual nature and that it would be compromised of those who would compose such. Verses, verse 21 of chapter 17. In that sense, the word, uh, in that sense of the word, it would be within them. And then Jim says, Jesus, uh, our Lord gives them and us a, a clue. It does not come with observation. It is not physical. It is a material kingdom. Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of, the, of this world. John 14, verse 36. He had told the woman at the well in John 4, verse 24, that God is spirit and worship to him follows that pattern, spirit and truth. We cannot measure God by material or physical things. The religious leader of, leaders of Jesus' day were very concerned with those physical things, the washing of cups and pots, Mark 7, verse 8, and thus failed to understand their relationship with him. Too many today have the same problem. Religious Religion must be Physical. They want to make fellowship to be eating things, playing things, and activities. Fellowship is what unfolds by our obedience to the gospel. It is a relationship built on spiritual, not physical things. Right, Thank you for good. that. Let's grab our last break. We're going to go. We're going to make a, a race to the top. Now we've got three questions Six, left. We'll seven, do our best eight. to cover them. All right, we're going to go right now after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. This is Monty Overton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. We appreciate your interest in the Bible. It is, after all, God's message to us. We thought you might be encouraged by a poem written by A.Z. Conrad entitled, The Bible Stands. It goes like this. Century follows century. There it stands. Empires rise and fall and are forgotten. There it stands. Dynasty succeeds dynasty. There it stands. Kings are crowned and uncrowned. There it stands. Emperors decree its extermination. There it stands. Atheists rail against it. There it stands. Agnostics smile cynically. There it stands. Profane, prayerless punsters caricature it. There it stands. Unbelief abandons it. There it stands. Higher critics deny its claimed inspiration. There it stands. The flames are kindled against it. There it stands. The tooth of time gnaws but makes no dent in it. There it stands. Infidels predict its abandonment. There it stands. Modernism tries to explain it away. There it stands. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Only two out of ten Americans under age 30 believe that attending a church is important or worthwhile. That's an all-time low. 59% of millennials, those are the ones ages 22 through 35, who were raised in the church have now dropped out of church. 35% of millennials have an anti-church stance, believing that the church does more harm than good. Millennials are by far the least likely age group to attend church. That information is via Barna Research. The Word of God says in Matthew 7, beginning verse 24, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will like him to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. 
And every one that heareth these things of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. I hope you got your running shoes on because we're going fast from here on out. Okay, real quickly, next question. Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Mark ten seventeen. we know we refer to the rich young ruler who came and asked Jesus that rule, or asked Jesus that question. What do I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. Most important question of all. What must I do to be saved is how we would probably ask it. Jesus starts out by saying, well, you've got to keep the rules, the law, the commandments of God that are pertinent to you. Now, remember, the law of Moses was still in force. So, so Jesus told him to keep the commands of Moses. Uh, obviously, that wouldn't be applicable to us because that, not, that law now has been abolished and we live under the law of Christ. But notice, it was it was rule keeping. You got to keep commands. You got to do the yeah, commands. Right. The, and the young man said, well, "I've done all that." But Jesus perceived he had a problem with his heart. He said, "Go sell all that you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me." And the man's problem was that he was too fond of his money, and he went away sorrowful. So, basically, the answer to Jesus, the answer that Jesus gives to that most important question, "What shall I do to inherit eternal life?" Keep the commands, but do it with a with a right heart. So, so it, it, you can't you can't negate either one of those things. And it, and it should be the same truth taught in John four twenty four. God is a spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You got to do the right thing. But you got to do it with a right, right sincere heart. One without the other. Either one without the other is not going to get the job done. Here's what uh, Jim says. Jim says. Uh, poss- possibly the greatest question ever asked of Jesus. It deals with the greatest event, eternal life. It deals with the greatest need, what I must do. He asked the right que- person the right question and got the right answer, God's will. Sadly, this man gave the wrong response. He went away grieved. We know who to ask, Jesus. Are we willing to obey? As an aside, Jesus was always good about directing our minds to the Heavenly Father. There is none good but one, that is God. Verse 18, a lesson we need to focus on. Thank you for that, Jim. And then Kent says... This text indicates some urgency on the part of the individual and that he approached Jesus by running to him and kneeling down. He displayed honor and reverence towards the Lord. It is also interesting that he refers to him as being good. In response to this individual, Christ indicates that by using the term good, he had implied that he was on the same plane as God the Father. Jesus then indicated that if he wanted eternal life, he would need to keep the commandments. The response was made that he had observed such from his youth. Jesus indicating true love for this individual indicated to him by indicated to him that he lacked one thing. He needed to sell all his possessions and give the money to value, monetary value to those who were poor. Literally, poverty restriction. There, on page five fifty seven, indicates that the word necessitates those who cannot provide for themselves. However, this man went away grieved and sad because he had a greater love for his possessions than interesting interest in following Christ. Thank you for that, Kent. I like what Kent said there about the logic that Jesus used, and he did it multiple times where he would say, well, what you just admitted puts me at a position that you may not realize you just admitted to. Uh, and, and and we need to do that as we, we work with people is to direct them to what what they understand and admit and look at the con- the consequences of that or the implications of that. He had called Jesus good. The implication is that Jesus was God, uh, and he didn't, re- he didn't realize so that. So we need to get people to... To accept the logical consequence of their right. position. Exactly right. I think you're right. Okay. All right. 
next question real fast. Uh, Matthew 9, verse 14, the disciples of John came to Jesus asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Why don't your disciples fast? Jesus answers, The the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. Can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Uh, so a couple of things. This is a great question about fasting. I think a lot of people have questions about fasting. Jesus connected fasting with specific circumstances rather than saying it's something that you would do as a routine practice. And so it's interesting that there are no instructions in the New Testament, specific instructions about fasting. There's an implication in Jesus' answer, that there would be times when you might choose to fast. There's no mandated or or uh, ordinance that directs fasting, so this would be a personal a, a matter of personal discretion. But the implication of Jesus' answer is there would be time and circumstance where you might very well choose to fast. This is not a, he said basically said this is not such a time, but those kind of times may come. All right. Um, Jim says, uh, he references Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, to everything there's a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. The response Jesus gives lets us know that there is a right time to do something and a wrong time, but he also reveals his nature in being the groom, husband of the bride, uh, the church. So many think religion must be gloomy. We deny ourselves this or that. We can still discipline ourselves without taking on the attitude of being sour. We also recognize that fasting is not wrong. It is a personal choice. It is taught in the New Testament, Acts 14.23, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5. Thank you for that, Jim. Kent says the disciples of Christ asked Christ, the disciples of John asked Christ why his disciples did not fast. Both the disciples of John and the Pharisees did fast. Jesus answered this question by making two observations. Number one, he gave an illustration of a bridegroom indicating that fasting is not for those who are rejoicing, but rather for those who are in sorrow. While Christ was on earth and with his disciples, it was time of a time of joy and not to fast. Chapter nine, verse fifteen. He would have to he would leave them and return to heaven. It would be a, an appropriate time to fast then. Um, and number two, he says in nine, chapter nine, verses sixteen and seventeen, Christ answers John's disciples with an illustration of a garment and wineskin. John was the last great prophet of the Old Testament. The work of Christ was to establish upon the basis of his death burial and resurrection and ascension into new in, uh, ascension the new testament and the new testament church it was not proper to place his work nor the lives of his followers at that time into an old testament model mm, that's interesting i yeah. thought about that way thank, thank you, you Kent. uh again I, I, just to summarize on fasting there's no new testament mandate of fasting but there's a clear implication in the statement of jesus is that you might choose uh, there might be circumstances that would lead you to choose to fast and so it's a matter of personal discretion. Okay. Real Last quick. one. Last question. Whose wife will she be? Do, do you remember this episode? Uh, Mark chapter 12, beginning verse 18. Some Sadducees who say that there is no resurrection came to Jesus and began questioning him, saying, Teacher Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother die and leaves behind a wife and leaves no child, his brother should marry the wife and raise up children to his brother. There were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died, leaving no children. The second one married her and died, leaving 
behind no children. And the third likewise, and so all seven left no children. Last of all, the woman died also in the resurrection when they rise again. Which one's wife will she be? For all seven had married her. So this, now get this. This is, again, one of those clear situations where they were hoping to entrap Jesus. The, the Sadducees did not believe in life beyond death. Mm-hmm. And so they thought that they could present Jesus with just an unanswerable challenge. If there's life beyond death and seven brothers had all been married to the same woman, if you say there's life after death, well, how are you going to answer this question, Jesus? Because how are you going to figure out whose wife she will be? Yeah. Uh, so uh, they thought they had Jesus in a pretty good cir- uh, predicament there. Uh, Jesus Jesus' response to them was that they were wrong, uh, that they didn't know the scriptures, verses 24 and 25, uh, or continuing at verses 24 through 27. Uh, he, he didn't say, well, you, you got your interpretation and I've got mine. He said, you are mistaken. You do not understand the scriptures. You are greatly mistaken. So Jesus didn't say, oh, well, you've got your take on that. I've got mine. You have your interpretation. I have my interpretation. He didn't do that. And again, notice how he answered. He was not afraid to say, you're just wrong about that. Yeah. You're just plainly wrong right. about that. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing uh, is, is that Jesus' answer here is a, is a strong, powerful uh, uh, testimony to the inspiration of scriptures uh, uh, because he said, he he referenced uh, God speaking to Moses at the burning bush. He said, have you not read that God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Uh, Jesus made an argument there based upon the verb tense used when God spoke to Moses at the burning bush. He didn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Jesus made a whole argument on the verb tense in that quote. And, and, and his point was, since God said present tense, not past tense, but present tense, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that proves that, that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still existed. Yep. They, 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 there was life beyond the grave. And, and so... Uh, he, he proves that there was life beyond the grave, but what he also proves is that the, the scriptures are verbally plenary, verbal plenary inspiration, word for word, fully inspired of God, so much so that you can make an argument based upon a verb tense. Yeah, uh, and yeah, absolutely. And Jesus respected the scriptures, obviously, and uh, he, he teaches us we should respect them as well. And one other thing, one other thing he, he observes here is that. Things are going to be different in heaven. You know, I think a lot of people have a physical outlook on heaven. And we're going to be like the angels in heaven. We're not going to be marrying or giving in marriage. It's going to be different. People think, well, heaven's going to be like, you know, a well-manicured golf course that we get to play every day. Uh, I I want to be able to play golf every day and then maybe also get in a little fishing. Yeah. And, well, I mean, the the bass are going to be huge. Yeah. yeah. No, not going to be like that. And uh, we need to be getting prepared for that. Uh, and uh, Jesus helps us understand that. Jim says um, Jesus' re- Jesus's rebuke here is swift and precise. They did not understand the scriptures. They presumed a situation and ignored 
the plain teaching of God's word. Let us not presume. Let us learn. Again, this is similar to thinking about the question with regards to the kingdom of God and judging God's word by human or material assumptions. Beyond that, Jesus also rebukes their understanding of the power of God, that nothing is impossible for God in verse 24. Thankfully, their ignorance leads us leads to our understanding as our Savior reveals something about the resurrection. We will not have a physical bodies, but like here on earth in verse 25. Hey, Jim, Jim does make a good point here. How many people base their beliefs on human reasoning here or some type of scenario like these guys did formulating some type of scenario that they would then prove to just use to justify their position? Yeah. Uh, how many people are doing that today? And, and maybe we've done the same. So you built it, construct a hypothetical to try and prove something based upon your reasoning. Don't prove exactly. It. Kent says Christ was approached by the Sadducees who denied the physical resurrection with a scenario that they thought would reduce belief in the resurrection to an absurdity. Christ answered their hypothetical argument by demonstrating, one, that they did not understand the nature of marriage, that such ended at the point of death, and that in a physical resurrection, individuals would not marry nor be given in marriage. And that, two, death does not destroy the totality of one's being. He made a reference to the Pentateuch that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Such implies the truth that these individuals, though dead, had not been destroyed, and they maintained their identity. The basic conclusion thus follows that though dead, they continued to live because of the soundness of the argument Jesus made. One of necessity must conclude that death will not prevent a physical resurrection from the dead. There you go. All right. We're out of time. Absolutely. Kyle. Dwight, Dwight in Iowa just got into the chat room here at the last minute. I don't see Dwight. Uh, he, uh, what? Uh, my he, chat room is broken. Have I missed uh, anything? You, no, you didn't miss anything. But Dwight, 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 we expect you to uh, supply a tardy slip there. I mean, well, I mean, I did. I played Dwight and Michelle saying that they listened every week and then they weren't in the chat room. I felt, sort of felt like we were doing some false advertising yeah, there. But yeah, you, you, saved you can, us you at the can, last minute. You can send us a a a. a, a, a scanned version of yeah, your uh, doctor's uh, note doctor's note yep. or your tardy slip that's right kyle uh haven't heard much from you tonight yeah, it's a good study i think it's uh it's good to know what jesus said but it's also some people like to take out of context what jesus said and then discount what the rest of the bible says but it's good to to know what jesus says about these important points it's fantastic it's good facts yeah good facts and we should take a minute to thank our correspondents who are so faithful so many every almost yeah, every that week takes, I, I, I often think about that i mean kent sends us a, a pretty long essay effectively every week and jim does jim's, very often jim's well. trying to keep up yeah, yeah. and uh, and yeah. others too and dwight I mean, usually does grant and grant yeah yeah Lots of, and then we welcome yours as well, but we do appreciate that. We know it's time well, consuming. Yeah, and they, it's spent a, they spent a good bit of time contributing to our program. Well, they, thank you. And make it better too, I might yeah, add. Exactly. Uh, and, and we are, we need to stop here and thank our listeners who, who listen to us and many of the listeners that are listening right now so faithfully every week. Thank you for doing that. Uh, we appreciate your interest in spiritual things as is indicated by your willingness to join a Bible study like this on a weekly basis. We want to hear from you at any time. If you have questions or suggestions for future editions of the Virtual Bible Study, please send an email to questions at collegeu.com. Dad, thank you for your time tonight. Thanks, Jacob. Enjoyed being with you and benefited. And uh, we appreciate you listening tonight. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.
Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.